Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. 49ers at Chargers, Thursday night football. Marco, who do you like and why? I like San Diego in this game. Alex Smith returned last week for the 49ers, and they erupted for 40 points. He'll have a regression this week because he's facing a real defense. Okay, so one of the basic wise guy handicapping tenants is if a team does exceedingly well the week before, you want to assume that's a short-term aberration and go against it because likely the public's going to overreact. But to me, a key part of that is the public overreacting. So as you look at this line and you see San Diego minus nine, what do you think the line would have been if this game were played last week? Though in a way, you look at the San Diego side, they had even a more impressive performance. So if you have two teams that, that, that maybe are slightly overvalued because of last week, how do you as a handicapper handle that? Well, there's no question San Diego's over. You're paying a premium for San Diego this week because if you look just two weeks ago, they, San Francisco on the road was getting eight and a half in Green Bay. And, you know, San Diego's still not in the playoff picture. They're, they're behind Kansas City. Last week's win, impressive. But remember, Matt Castle was out. Which brings up a, a reoccurring theme because we're going to have a number of quarterbacks in the NFL that are questionable this week. I, really, I rarely disagree with Vegas, but I actually tweeted out, Vegas had Castle rated as worth one and a half points. Yeah, that, that was absolutely ludicrous. I agree with you. So we had, it made me feel a little foolish because we were projecting that um, you know, Aaron Rodgers had been worth six points earlier in the year, and I think it's comparable now, and he's a questionable this week. I thought Castle would be five, not so much because Castle's as good as Rodgers, but the key is the relative difference between one and two. Right. And with the quarterback that was backing up in KC, I thought that was worth at least five points. Did you see value on San We had a lot of pros that had big games on San Diego both before and after the announcement of the quarterback situation. Did you look at there being value on San Diego laying nine when we knew Castle was out? I was surprised like you that it was nine. I generally, because one of my old school theories is I generally don't like to take a team you know that's got the injured star because the rest of the team sucks it up. But this was just... I think a quarterback, I think that's one thing that I'm going to be talking about. If you don't have a quarterback that can be serviceable, I just don't think you can win in this league. Well, that's the key. Kansas City didn't. Uh, you know, there's a lot of teams come in, and we, an example we used last week when we talked about the game was the Steelers having a guy like Charlie Batch as a backup. Who, the Steelers, let's be honest, the Steelers are probably the one team that I would say this year that's an exception to that rule. As long as they don't, their quarterback doesn't give the ball away, their defense might even last. You know, it's not like their defense is going to outscore the other team, but they're at least going to get you where even, you know, even if you just need a field goal. I mean, Batch, let's not make Batch out to have performed too well uh, uh, in those first, you know, he didn't play all the four games. It's, it was pretty much we would intercept the ball, it'd be three and out, and we'd kick a field goal and won those games. Well, there was an old saying, I don't know if you remember, another former Steeler that went to Denver, Bubby Brister. Remember whenever he took over for Elway and they ended up going to the Super Bowl, but it was just 
drive the bus, just don't wreck it. <laughs> it was the saying with him. And, well, Brisser didn't take him to the Super Bowl. But he... he Played several games okay, in that, right. in that Let's year. Just be clear. We don't want to right. get. Say he got a Super Bowl ring out of out, out of that. that year. He didn't get one with the Steelers. A lot of trainers have that too. All right, so let's let's get back though. I'm I'm just confused on your your initial take. Is you're saying San Francisco is going to regress? That means they're a little overrated now. San Diego's overrated. What makes San Francisco a, or San Diego appealing? Where San Francisco is, and if both of them overperformed last week, I don't. The phrase of overrated, I really didn't use that uh, phrase. You put that in. What I'm saying is, last week, Alex Smith had a good game. He got his second chance because they were playing so bad. He got reinstated. It wasn't an injury. So there's no there's no momentum around that. There's momentum around that, but when you're facing the Seattle Seahawks and now you're going to San, so you're saying that, that you're saying that good result is fraudulent. Absolutely. Okay. Do you agree both teams are highly motivated this week? Oh, if you believe it or not, yeah. I mean, San Francisco is still both mathematically. Teams are in it. Both in teams it. are in it. Um, how would this handicap change if it wasn't for the Chargers-Raiders game two weeks ago? Honestly, this line would be, it would be over double digits. Would it? Or is, it, is this just a premium line? Is this line just really high to start with? It's high to start is with. Is it really it. going to be 11? I think it definitely would have been 10, 10 and a half if they would have beaten Oakland because they would have been on, a, you know, at that point a six or seven game winning streak. And you have that stat of them in the month of December. Exactly. They just don't lose. And, and the, them losing in December kind of almost called into question that stat. And I wonder, when you look at that game now, how do you account for it? It was just one of the... And, it was a fluke because the Raiders did it in a fashion that they normally don't do it. It wasn't turnovers. They ran the ball down the throat of San Diego, and that's why a lot of people thought. I'm going to give you a, a chance to take that back because I've got to be honest. I'm sure the viewers, when they're thinking, I wonder what Marco's going to say about this, it was a fluke. I, you know, I don't think that's the takeaway, right? So here's the question. Is it potentially... Well, let me give an opinion. You can maybe go a little beyond the fluke part. Is it the fact that San Diego is a low intangibles team in general, which I've been, in my opinion, I've been saying all year, and that you just don't ever know what what team's going to show up? And that with a team like San Diego, they can get run out of the stadium against even an average team if they psychologically aren't there. Is it just the... Is it just the, not the randomness, but just the uh, unreliability of San Diego? Well, unreliability is a good word. And and to go back to my word of the, was it a fluke? What I meant is if you went back and looked at San Diego's losses this year, most of them, when I say fluky type losses, like the first Oakland game, it was special teams that did mm-hmm. them in. There were several. They were, big, out, they were outplayed in the trenches. You're saying. In this. So, in so what this, does that tell? That's what my point is. Do we look? You're saying the line's two points difference potentially because of that game. Do we? Do we think that's valid? Meaning that game really revealed a weakness on San Diego, or do we think potentially if it was truly a fluke, then we're thinking San Diego got great value here because they would be laying eleven well, instead of nine. If there was a weakness pointed out and it was the way they ran the ball, Oakland ran the ball on San Diego, it's not going to be exploited this week with the 49ers without Frank Gore. You know, he, he's gone for the season. That was a big part of the running game. They lost a lot with him, and that's why last week 
they re, they went back to Alex Smith because they they needed to go to the passing game. They had to rely more on the passing game, and I just don't think they'll be able to do that against San Diego. Each week we talk about on Thursday the traveling team and the short prep. How do you see this week that playing out? Well, it's definitely we talk about you know it's always a disadvantage. Some weeks it's more than others. The fact that San Francisco's on the road and they're playing a team that's not in their, you know, that they don't play every year. So you don't have that luxury of already kind of knowing what to expect from that team. So this is a major disadvantage for San Fran. So you're saying because San Fran, it's not a divisional opponent that you're very familiar with, the unfamiliarity combined with the short time makes it, uh, prep time makes it even more of a disadvantage. Absolutely. Anything to close or give us your projection? I got San Diego. It's around the number, but I am going to go with San Diego, 27 to 16. I will point one thing out on San Francisco, and it's another reason why I'm siding on San Diego, because this is almost a little bit too obvious for my blood to take San Diego. But the 49ers, they're 5-3 and three in their last eight games. The five wins all are against teams with sub-500 records. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking about our first bowl game of the year, and it's actually my week one bowl best bet, Northern Illinois versus Fresno State. Northern Illinois at Fresno. Yes, this is a bowl game, but you know why I love it? Because it's my best bet of week one of the bowls. Marco, I'm going to give, this is such an easy play. It's so easy that this might be a two-minute video. I'm going with Fresno State. I love it. I'm pounding it. As you say, I'm taking off the rubber bands. And here's why. It's simple. Coaching change. And to me, one of the basic tenets of bowl handicapping is if you have a coaching change, it's a disadvantage, but all disadvantages are not created equal. And I'll explain that in a second, is... First, though, tell me, how do you as a handicapper consider coaching changes in bowl games? Well, there's two kinds of coaching changes. The one that we have here where everybody's fleeing the ship, he's leaving and taking both the offensive and defensive coordinators with them, so that's total abandonment. There's the other kind of coaching change where there's a firing, and you have an interim coach take over for the bowl game. That can actually be a benefit because you have somebody within the system that's auditioning for the job and the team rallies around. I disagree. I agree that that's less of a detriment, but I don't think it's ever an advantage. The disruption is a negative. To me, I think in the perfect situation, it can almost be neutral. But I think, I, so you actually, and again, disagreements are valid, you actually think in some situations with the quote-unquote audition that it's a positive because you've got a guy that is, for the first time, has an opportunity to become a head coach. And he's going to, do, he's going to work as hard as he possibly can. And in a lot of the instances, the team likes that coach and, and wants that guy to, to be their next head coach. And they rally around I him. I think in a perfect storm, everything you're saying is right. I still think that a first-time coach handling things he's never, hand, never handled before and the fact that with bowl games, the operational details of a bowl game are just so different. The whole idea that you got, you know, weeks and weeks of practice are so, di- you know, th- there's two sides of the old, old Joe Paterno's a great bowl coach or, you know, Lou Holtz is a great bowl coach. You know, all through, you know, my betting history, there's been these coaches you just don't fade in a bowl game. There was a flip side to that, which is the coach has never been in a bowl game before. Mm-hmm. 
So I think at best it can become neutral, but I agree with you that this is the worst case. You got a coach that left for Indiana, the head coach at Northern Illinois left to coach Indiana. Then they hired the just recently. Is it Indiana or Minnesota? I, I have Minnesota in my notes, so I could possibly be wrong. Oh, you know something? Maybe Indiana's involved somehow. So, but let you know, I, you know something. Let's just assume it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, a Big Ten school. Maybe it's one of the say, bottom rung ones. Maybe we, I have Indiana written down, but I can make mistakes. So let, let's assume it doesn't matter. He laughed. Okay. He's gone. <laughs> His office is gone. Thank you for the correction. Uh, they hired the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin. Am I right about that? Okay, yeah. All right. And they're having their linebackers coach coach the team. Now, you could make the case and say, well, you know, maybe he's auditioning. But you've got to figure, on the hierarchy of coaches, mm-hmm. a linesbacker coach is pretty low. And the fact is, like you said, there's coordinators leaving. There's another. In fact, well, let's be honest. Let's think about it. They've already hired you. There is no audition. This, yeah. guy's, this guy's probably looking for a job. Yeah. And that's the thing you, don't, you forget. These are human beings that have families, people in pri- they got kids in private school. Mm-hmm. They're trying to think about next year, and a lot of the Wisconsin, a lot of the um, Northern Illinois apparatus is thinking about recruiting. They're thinking. I mean, they're thinking about a lot of things right now. A total disruption, and the kids. And this is what people don't get. These are 18, 19, 20 year old kids saying, "This coach is screaming at me. He's not even going to be here in three weeks." Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a perfect storm, not only worth a couple of points, it can be worth 10, 20 points. You will see teams like this sometimes get blown out because they're just not ready to play. To me, I see all the negatives in Northern Illinois. I don't think it's accounted for in the line. I love Fresno here. I agree with you 100%. This game opened at Northern Illinois minus three and got hit right away down to one. So, I mean, the Sharps jumped right away on, on this situation. To me, even off a key number, this might be a situation the line should – and I rarely say this because I think you're dealing in point, a couple points here or there with edges. This might be seven the other way, and I might still want to play it just because it's such a disruptive situation. And other things to look at in this game, because I agree with you. I like Fresno State in this game too. Situation, they're playing on the blue turf. Northern Illinois has never played here. This is going to be an advantage for Fresno State uh. because they play here, and they just actually played here about three weeks, you know, well, it'll be more in three weeks, but just a couple games ago that's they good played. Point. So, and you've got a team that's rolling into the, uh, you know, Fresno State, this was a down year for them, but they finished the season strong. They won five of their last seven games with their only two losses, a one-point loss to Nevada, who is the team that upset Boise State, and then they lost to Boise. No shame in that. So this team is rolling into a bowl. They're happy to be in this bowl. Northern Illinois is coming into this game with everything else you said. And you, one other factor, they lost the MAC championship game. This isn't the bowl that they were supposed to go to. They were a 19-point favorite in the MAC wow. championship game and lost that game. So you've got the letdown, you know, plus the coach bailed. And one of the reoccur wow, you made a better case than me for this. That's yeah, why I'm around, buddy. The, <laughs> one of the things we'll talk about the most about bowls is motivation. And here you've got a situation, a Fresno team that's trending upward, and you've got a Northern Illinois team not only in disarray, 
But as you make a good point, is if you're supposed to be playing in a much better bowl, they're not going to be very excited about this. So I, I this could be my bowl game of the year. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be very I'm gonna be very excited to pound this baby. And uh, again, it's my best bet in the first week. I agree with you. Kudos, sir. All right. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're moving. Oh, actually, hold on. We had a coupon. He always forgets to give his money away. So I want it for you. It's psychological. So each week, and we're going to actually do uh, each week of the bowl season, and each week we do videos, is we're going to give $10 away that you can spend at pregamepros.com on anything you want. And even if it's less, if the, what you're buying is less than 10 bucks, you get it free. You can keep out credit card right in your pocket. Give us a coupon. Well, it's holiday season, so it's holiday and the number 10. All one word, holiday, the number 10. You enter that at the checkout, you get $10 off. So they're getting a best bet and 10 bucks off. What could be better? It, it's the ho- I'm in the holiday mood, though. So <laughs> Next up, though, we're going to be talking the Eagles at the Giants NFL football on Sunday. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. Eagles at Giants Sunday NFL. Marco, who do you like and why? I like the over in this game, RJ. And this is a situation where, one, I think the Philadelphia defense is overrated. I think they got exposed a little bit last week in Dallas. And remember, Dallas did that without Des Bryant last week in the lineup. And the Giants, how are they going to stop Michael Vick? Nobody has been able to stop uh, Michael Vick yet. And they're averaging in the last six games. How much did we bet? I, I forgot about that bet. We, I took the Cowboys, right? Did you? Yeah, yeah I did. Yeah. Look at look at you. you, no, you, I really, did, you did you really go against my, the three, my best bet? You my, remember I took the three and a half. Yeah, you did. Wow. Okay, we'll have, to, we'll have to get to that a little <laughs> that later. That was a backdoor cover, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was very backdoor cover. You don't know I'm how sorry, much you that go ahead, Doug. Uh, Philadelphia, last six games, they've won five of the last six, and they're averaging 26 points or more in all of those games. I like this game to go over. The Giants are winning. Uh, give them credit last week. They shut down Minnesota, but really the Vikings, that was just a horrible situation for the Vikings on Monday night. The question marks surrounding Favre all week, then the last-minute change of venue, which ended up actually hurting the Vikings more than it did the Giants because, I mean, Minnesota had to, you know, they didn't know where they were playing until 10 o'clock at night, and then, you know, they're all planned and game-planned. They're sitting at the hotel and had to move to go to Detroit. Kind of had that feel of the old, you know, you think of the NFL as always this elite brand and, and this professional league. But, you know, you hear stories in the 50s and 60s and they'd be playing at state fairs and, you know, there wouldn't be an Enzo, you know, like no goalposts on one side. It kind of had that feel of, uh, you know, it was just like, where, you know, where can we, almost on Friday Night Lights, I don't know if you watch that, but they had a state championship game or whatever and they had it in a cow field. Yeah. No shot on our, our buddy J.D. Uh, in Johnny Detroit, Michigan, but some of the free tickets that they were giving out, you know, to fill the thing, people were saying that homeless people were coming in to use the tickets to get warm for the game. Well, you know, did you hear that on Scott Van Pelt? Because uh, they, then they said something like they were up in the top row eating popcorn like pigeons. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally didn't think that was politically correct, but hey, that's fine. All right. But admit it, you chuckled. You know, I, that, I, can't, I can't remember. There was no camera on me. I, I will say that. How do you handicap that disruption, though, on the Giants' side for this week? Is they had tra- From what I understood, the weather, there was travel issues with that. 
and uh, like you said, they've had one less day of prep. Uh, that's a negative for the Giants, wouldn't you say? For sure, but the fact, like we talked in an earlier video, they are playing a team, they play twice a year, so they know them. And so the prep time isn't quite as valuable. Right, and the Giants, you know, the, you've got the two best teams, you know, in the NFC East, obviously, they're tied for first place, but really, these are two of the best teams in the NFC period. You know, right now, with the injury to Green Bay, you know, their stock has dropped, and then you've got Atlanta and New Orleans. Uh, this decides the NFC East, and this is a game. Well, well, the Giants win. It doesn't decide the NFC it East. Does, it doesn't decide. They'll have a one-game lead, but if Philly wins it, the division's over. All right, so because they'll have the, they'll have a one-game lead, but they have swept the series. Vegas had the Eagles as the second-best team as of last week. The new poll's not out, and it'd be hard to say that performance against the Cowboys lowered their stock. So. Does that feel right to you? I feel Philadelphia, and I mean, I was all over Philly last week, and, and I felt that they outplayed Dallas. Uh, you know, it came down to, once again, when you're at the end of a game and you're up 10 and laying three and a half. Because, I mean, am I not a mistake? What was the score entering the fourth quarter? Entering the fourth quarter, they got a turnover, Dallas, and took a quick lead. But uh, Dallas, so, I mean, Philly it's, it's came kinda, right back. Philly, yeah, but I mean, Dallas kinda, never stopped listen, Philly here's in the that thing. game. This, Philly stopped themselves in that this game. This is what you, Jesus, <laughs> God. If you go to that level, every team, that's why every team, every f- true fan thinks their team is better than their record. Because they forget, like the Steelers, is I don't really think about the Miami game they could have lost at. I don't really think about the fact that uh, Cincinnati was down on the nine-yard line in the first meeting. I think, you know, against the Saints, if Heath Miller didn't fumble, could you really, I think you actually, even after 31 years, you've got room to improve. And and I'll finish my point before you jump in, (laughs) is I think you always see it from your perspective, which can be dangerous for a handicapper. I get that at a certain point of that game, now you had the Texans on a big play on Monday night. Once it went to, well, first of all, once the Texans scored, the odds of you covering that were well past 75% because it's only 50% or less that they make the two-point conversion. Then you cover that. Then assume if it's, Houston would have to be at least 50% in overtime. So I totally agree. You were 75-25 to cover that game. But someone who had Baltimore could have said, well, I'm up 21 points with eight minutes left or whatever it was. And, and, or 19 points or whatever, and I am in a position where I should win 75%. Yeah. Throughout a game, there's going to be many times that one team's 80% and then it turns around. Don't you think it's dangerous to look at that Eagles game and act like it was some horrible beat? Well, I understand what you're saying, RJ, but go back to the key play, the fourth and one for Philly when they kicked the field goal with four-something left in the game to go up 10. By the book, that's what they're supposed to do because they're, they're up seven. You, you have to make it a two-possession game. If it wasn't that late in the fourth quarter, I guarantee you Andy Reid goes on fourth and one. He did it earlier in the game. He went on fourth and two. But we're talking about coaching decisions that are reasonable in each direction. And that's your point is because of that coaching decision, it's like the game was – the line was three – and a half, 
probably that was the right line. Philly's going to cover five or six out of ten. Dallas is going to cover five or six out of ten. But to make it where Philly's performance was exceeded expectations last week and they didn't cover, that's kind of hard to do. And, again, to me, that's what you and I... Offensively, they did everything I expected them to do in the game. I was a little bit disappointed in their defense, and it's why I'm coming with the over this week. And that's my point is I'm not questioning that assessment. I'm saying let's not make the Eagles out to be where they overperformed last week just because you bet them. They didn't overperform. They probably performed up to expectation. That's why it was within a half a point of the line. All right, so... Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know if the, I think there's that sexy factor with Vic as a quarterback that's that's putting a premium on. I look to fade the Eagles every chance I get with Vic, but I got to tell you, the fact that Vegas has him second makes me think I might be missing something. So, I mean, where do you have the Eagles at in the NFL? In the NFC, I have them as one of the top three teams. I, I have three teams <laughs> in the NFC that I that I like. I think it's Philadelphia. I think it's Atlanta. And then I'm really a coin toss between the Giants and the Saints next. I don't like the really? Saints. Really? I don't Saints, like the Saints. Saints and Giants on a neutral is pick them. Boy, it's not, I, it's not I'd be gonna, getting the rubber not, bands out for that it's one. Not I love even, the Saints. What I don't like is looking at the teams, I don't like the defense on the Saints. That's their Achilles heel. I don't like that. I think the Giants are a better team built for the playoffs where they can. Than the defending Super Bowl champions. They run the ball and they can play a little. They can play some defense, but against Vic, they're going to have troubles. Vic just stretches the field on you. All right, give us your projection. I've got it. I actually have the Giants winning the game, twenty-eight twenty-seven, going over. I think both teams are going to be going up and down the field in this one. The first game went under. I think the Giants will make some adjustments on their offensive end, but I still just don't see them shutting Vic down. A few quick points. Philly has covered only two of eight against winning teams. I think that they have a, they're a type of team that can blow out the bad teams and seemingly have trouble against the better teams, and the numbers back that up. Though I don't like the Giants at home. Their home field isn't as strong as – they're actually a very good road team. They've only covered three of 11 as a home favor, which isn't so great. And actually in this series, and remember, we got the two coaches that have been here a while on both teams. Uh, Eagles have covered five straight. Uh, one note on the Giants' last three-game winning streak, they have benefited their defense. You can say this, is this lucky or is it good defense? Turnover margin's been 9-3 to three in favor of the Giants during to, those three games. To me, in general, I, I, I think turnovers even out. There's a, occasional differences or occasional exceptions to that. Is that how you look at it typically? Uh, you know, I don't handicap a game trying to base things on that because it is a great equalizer. But you're right. They're supposed to equal out. But every year you'll see one team at the end of the year that has, it's plus double digits on turnovers, you know, an ungodly number. It's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to Green Bay at New England Sunday Night Football. For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit PregameLines.com. Packers at Patriots Sunday Night Football. We're taping on Wednesday, Marco, and Rodgers is questionable. The decision they're saying is going to be made on Saturday. This gives us an opportunity to really drill down on the value of a key quarterback like Rodgers. How many points is he worth? 
what does it mean to the team? And yeah, it should probably be a short conversation, but I think an instructional one for those who really handicap. So first thought, Rodgers uh, had a concussion earlier in the year. He was, uh, he was uncertain for the game. And Vegas said he was worth six points. Now, to me, that sounds right. In general, and, and let's talk about the backup. The backup for the Pats is, or for the Packers is not impressive. Yeah, Matt Flynn, fifty-five uh, percent completions on the year, uh, no touchdowns, one interception. So, and he came in last week, and it, it was ugly against Detroit. And we were talking about Castle earlier last week. Vegas said he was worth one and a half points. This is a guy, I think it was 22 touchdowns, four interceptions. So, like, a really good year. Mm-hmm. Guy that, you know, just a couple years ago led the Pats to 11-5 and five record. And the backup was 0 for 9 and now 0 for 10. As a starter. As a starter. And they said one and a half points? I, I you know, usually they, you know, I felt kind of square. Because usually the squares overreact. To injuries. Oh my God! You know Rodgers is out. You know the Pats are going to be laying thirty points. They're six point, six point difference, and that's the most extreme. There's probably not a player in the league, maybe Brady or Peyton Manning. There's only only a handful of guys in the league worth six points. So I guess that's an interesting concept. Is most people overreact to injuries? How do you handle injuries typically in your handicapping that takes advantage of that? Well, generally, and we've talked about it numerous times on different podcasts, you know, I've been a proponent of the injured player theory in most instances. To define that? The injured player theory is you take the team with the injured star the first week. So you, you, you back them the first week. The reason behind it is you're getting an inflated number from Vegas because Vegas is always going to put a higher premium on Because the, the public's overreacting. You got the team that's injured. The rest of the team takes it up a notch. They play at a different intensity because they know they have to to compensate for the loss of the star. And on the flip side, the team you're playing generally has a little bit of a mental you know, letdown because they think, oh, we just caught a break. We don't have to face the star. So it's a perfect storm to take advantage of it. I, there's a second part to that. The next week, if they did win or cover, I'll go against that team the next week because now the value in the line is gone because Vegas figures they over-adjusted the week before. The team that took that, you know, playing at a different level can relax just a hair because they won without the star. And the other team doesn't take them for granted because they see, hey, look what happened last week. So it all goes against you. So the squares are typically one step behind. The wise guys, the winners are one step ahead. I love it. Now, isn't there exceptions, though? And to me, go ahead. There is exceptions, I and mean, we have talked about it. When there's certain quarterbacks and the teams just don't have a, a good, viable plan B, and we saw that last week with Matt Castle, we're going to see that this week if, if Rodgers can't go. What makes it worse in this game with Rodgers is they have no running game to rely on. And they're going against a team that their offense, and I'm going to say, mark it down, I'm going to praise the New England Patriots because, you know, I've been, you know, on the wrong side of them. What Brady did in a snowstorm last week was absolutely mind-boggling. You know, this brings up the point because last week we had a a confrontation. You and me? Really? You you backed (laughs) down. And lot, there was a lot of feedback about it where, you know, boy, Marco didn't seem to want to back his opinion. So I'm going to give you one more opportunity because, again, you, you felt strongly about your opinion. In your mind, you thought that the Patriots, the Steelers, the Jets, and the Ravens 
were all about equal to the point where it was hard to distinguish between them. Because I asked you, we were talking about power rankings. It, you want to go head to head on this, Dustin, so we can see Margo's <laughs> face? All right. Is, uh, you're going to see my It's <laughs> coming through the red dad here. So, so let's stay focused. So <laughs> I strongly believe that the Patriots and the Steelers are here. And again, I think the Pats are better, but amongst the four, I think the other two are three and four clearly. Vegas tends to agree with me, which, you know, it's usually the case, is <laughs> the Steelers are laying six at home, which means they're three points better on a neutral. You actually had them equal teams. I was willing to lay 120 and say, I will lay 120 and give me the Pats and the Steelers to make the Super Bowl. You take it. Do you want a chance to, to, to no, because the way tell me I was right or take the bet? They are the two best teams in the AFC right now. Damn. They are. Okay. La- you know, after what I saw another week, they are the two so best. I was ahead. And, I, and you didn't clearly, see it yet. Clearly, the Patriots on paper, look like the unbeatable team. I will say this much, and even though they beat the Steelers earlier and they beat them soundly, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the best team equipped to beat the Patriots of any other team out there. In Maybe the so, but so what you're saying is, let's just be clear for the, because we got a lot of fans, is what you're saying you is... You got a lot of fans, and what, you want to let them know that you were right about something? Is that the point? <laughs> I just want to be clear, is you didn't see it, but I did. I put the four teams. I didn't have as much you separation. Just say yes, and it'd be you, over. You, right? Okay, you were, you were a week ahead of me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we, come we, back and talk to me in thirty-one years. Ah. <laughs> oh Lord, that's a sad thought. All right. So if Rogers does play, concussions. You know, I, I've heard things where half a year players say in hindsight they were kind of in a fog. You know, being a quarterback is a very mental game. Do, how many points would you, if he's worth six from 100% healthy to not playing, do you, are you going to make the adjustment if he does play because he's not going to be 100%? It's really hard to handicap that way um, when this is, this is an injury, but it's not, a, it's not really a physical injury where, you know, he's hobbled because of his, you know, ankle and he's a He's mentally hobbled. Well, he's mentally hobbled, but, you know, we can't know that for sure how bad he's going to be. But the fact that he's, it's uncertain if he's playing means that it wasn't just, you know, it's not just the league saying because you have a concussion, you've got to do this, you've got to be on the injury report. I mean, here's someone at this point we're uncertain if he's going to play. I think it's, it's almost a must-win game. I mean, let's talk motivation real oh, quick. Oh, it's, it's big for Green Bay, but, you know, it, as good as New England is playing right now, and Green Bay going in there, if I'm the coaching staff and he's iffy, and remember, the league has really been pushing hard about protecting players with concussions this year. I mean, the They're fact that he's had to. But, but that's the thing. This, that's the thing, though. There's no subjectivity to this when it comes to the league. They've got the baseline tests they do with these guys. You've got to, that's why Heath Miller was just cleared. I mean, it's not a coaching choice. Once a guy's cleared, they're going to play him. So they are, but it is also a fact that the more concussions you have, yeah. the more susceptible Correct. you Steve are Young. to having again. And he has another one. His season, could but what be does done. that mean to the handicap? Is if he gets cleared, he's going to play, right? He's going to play, but he's probably not going to be one hundred percent. Correct. All right. And even if he's one hundred percent, the way the Pat, the, the New England Patriots offense is rolling right now in Green Bay, without that running game to balance things off. 
I don't think that make you sound like a square. It does sound like a square, but this is this and that's is my thing. point. Is sometimes the squares are right. That's what I was just going to say. With this team, New England Patriots are like you know they're T squared. I mean they've been square all year. They keep winning. Sometimes there's just a team that's a fluke. And Gil Alexander and myself had a long discussion on our Monday podcast about. And you can this. hear all the podcasts at pregamepodcast.com. Go ahead. And there was a game on Sunday that was so square, but it, it got the money. The Atlanta Falcons were minus seven on the road to Carolina. And you know how I always talk about the teaser scenarios? You think about that game. You had the team with the best no, record no, no, in the I league. Know, but, but let's back up a second. because And you can make your point if you want, but I, I, think, you're, I think there's a point one level deeper. We all know square sides win. It, you know, at best it's going to be 48-52. If all it took was identifying this, I can go down the schedule and pick you the square sides right away. If all you had to do was fade them, at most you're going to win 52% doing that. To me, a square handicap is sometimes right. That, and, and to me, that's a difference. There's always going to be a square side, but I'm saying that if you talk to the smartest NFL guy in the world, he might say you don't want to fade New England right now because they're that good. And that's the same thing the guy at the bar is saying. And my point is sometimes a score handicap is right. We all know square sides win, right? All right, last, my last thought. Usually with a team on a roll, sometimes you talk about flat spots or, you know, they take things for granted. You know, Belichick is renowned for keeping a streak going. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have, I think, what was it, 23 games, the longest win streak in the modern NFL or, you know, maybe all time. I know that was in the mid, you know, mid-2000s. And you know what team stopped that? Pittsburgh. Of course. But then we lost. Yeah. <laughs> that was Big Ben's second, or rookie year, right? We won 15-1 that year. And New England came into Pittsburgh and was laying three. And I was a sucker. I said, that's too much value. And I sat there. It was one of the coldest games <laughs> I ever went to. In I my remember life. that. And that was sad. I actually didn't watch the second half. I was so upset. Then I, I went to turn on the radio. I said, maybe, you know, when I got back in the car, I went to, like, office max. And I said, maybe they came back. <laughs> If you define a good performance as 350 yards of offense, I know that's a little arbitrary. We talked about this last week. New England is now 43-20 and 20 with two pushes, ATS, after that game. So when you add in the 16-0 season, that stat, the 23 in a row, whatever, this is a team I don't think you just automatically say, well, New England's going to kind of you know, have a, a down game because that happens to all teams. Belichick seems to be able to avoid that. If there was ever a game for him to have a flat spot, it was last week, that situation going to Chicago, and again, they didn't do it. They A win this Sunday virtually locks up home field advantage for New England because there will only be two games left, and every team that's within striking distance of New England, they've already beaten, so it's, it's in essence two-game uh, distance. All right, so no pick. But I think a good discussion. It's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with Marco and me. And next up, we're going to be talking Monday night football. I won't say the game because you won't be quite as excited as just Monday night football. Bears at Vikings, Monday night football. And once again, we have an uncertain quarterback. To me, this is a different situation, though. In the Green Bay game we had talked about, we're taping on Wednesday, is Rodgers is uncertain. Vegas has him worth six points. Big difference if he plays or doesn't play. Favre, uncertain. 
But really, as a handicapper, Marco, and I know you have very strong feelings about Favre. It's, it's kind of <laughs> weird. Is what do you value Favre over Jackson? Well, there's no question. And if you watch last week's performance, which was just absolutely ugly by Tavarius Jackson, you know, you did you practice the word Tavarius in the mirror, <laughs> or you just had that? It just came. Naturally. It just came. Go ahead. But uh, this is a situation. I think everything surrounding last week's game made it tougher for the Minnesota Vikings. Jackson didn't know if he was starting or not starting. There was certain uncertainty all week. I know they're saying the same things this week, but why, why should he play? Last week he said, I would have got it injected if there was something to inject. There was nothing to inject on his injury last week. He said he couldn't throw the ball. He said he knew that he wasn't going to be able to what, go. If we were talking about is he going to, was he going to play last week, that's good stuff. What's that got to do with the I don't see how he can make a recovery and, and be in the factor this week. Marco MD. <laughs> Listen, the, the, why don't we assume... <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if we could put like a... a if we had the technology like to put, put like a mask on him right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> do you, let me ask you, do you think he plays on Monday? No idea. I, mean, I, I look at that. I know this is. I know probable seventy five percent. Questionable is fifty percent. Doubtful is twenty five. Out is zero. And, and if it's not on the injury report, it's a hundred. That's the way I approach it. I know that you were in this very studio, you know, five weeks ago. Going, his foot's broken. How can you play on a broken <laughs> foot? So I mean, I, here's my question. Does it matter? Is a Favre who is, clearly he's not going to be 100%. Is an 80% Favre that much better than Jackson? He's better, but I don't think it's as much as, I think it's an overreaction to last week's performance. And again. So maybe that's what you're saying is, if Jack, you're saying the circumstances conspired against Jackson, there was an under, you thought his performance was hindered by those circumstances. If he's able to play this, if he plays this week because Favre doesn't, there might be value on playing him. I think that, yes, I think that the public's going to look at that game. They're going to want to take Chicago to bounce back. They're going to dismiss the, both teams had ugly losses last week. I mean, let's face it, Chicago got drilled. But the public is going to dismiss Chicago's loss. They're going to say it was New England. It was in a snowstorm. It was every, They're going to make excuses. Isn't a snowstorm supposed to help the Bears? It was supposed to. It sure as hell didn't. <laughs> so how do you make that excuse, though? But the public is going to dismiss it because it was against New England. They're so in Except love. they were with, only plus three. I know. Did you have New England as your game of the year? No. Did you have New England? No. So you didn't. And I didn't was, have Chicago either. You didn't think there was value even in minus three on New England. Situation. So the yeah. fact they get blown out of the stadium got to mean something. But you you got to think. I mean, RJ, I mean, we disagree about a lot of things, but the public is going to forgive Chicago for their loss quicker than they're going to forgive Minnesota for theirs last week. New coach theory. I thought, and actually it was one of my, in the forums, I do a sharps versus squares mm-hmm. play, and my play uh, this week was Arizona, who I've been burned on them a lot, or last week, I'm sorry, this prior week. And I loved Arizona there. I, I, I bet it fairly strong. Is It seems like because of what Dallas did, because of what Minnesota had done prior to last week, there was a sense these new coaches invigorated the team. I thought it was going to be the opposite in Denver, is McDaniels had a vision, and he didn't execute upon it very well, but you had a whole team bought into the vision. When you pull the plug on a vision 
it, you know, it's different than if you got a coach that the team doesn't believe in the vision and, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, this was a Belichick disciple. And from what I hear, he would have never been fired if it wasn't for Spygate 2 or whatever you want to call it. And it was just an ethical concern. So now you got a coach, you believe in his vision, he's gone. And they, the line actually improved when he was fired. You know, where Denver started laying more when he was yeah. fired. It made no sense at all. I agree with you. And, and I thought there was real, I think it was an overreaction to the new coach theory. Where's the new coach theory at with the Vikings, considering the post-game comments from some of the key Vikings players of saying, you know, this is ridiculous, something's wrong, some guys aren't playing. I, I mean, the team has no chance at the playoffs. Favre is no longer like the mission is to bring, you know, let Favre win on his way out the door. I don't think that was ever the mission, but now he's hurt. What's keeping this team together where it's just not the Bears come in and just blow out a, an unmotivated Minnesota team? Well, that's the concern. But the one thing that struck me when I heard all of the stuff, when the reporters were asking, what did you think, you know, what do you think of the streak of Favre? And I heard several players say, we played a football game tonight, you know. Favre's record's what it is, but we played a football game tonight and we didn't play well at all. And I sensed a lot of the players were embarrassed by their their own performance. And we've had this discussion a few times this year. Early, but usually the, year. the ones embarrassed are the ones that aren't the problem. It's the guys that are, that are in debt that are thinking, "Hey, I just made three hundred thousand in that game." Are the guys that are the problem? So the the vocal leaders that are speaking up about the lack of effort are the ones you probably don't have to worry about. So it seems like you were implying maybe there's going to be a turnaround because of the, they're well, speaking up. I would think that this team would, because they are on national TV again, they're not going to want to lay a stink bomb the way they did last week. And I know we've had this discussion before a couple times when Dallas kept coming up in primetime games, and we're saying if they're ever going to show up, I think like it would be this week. Eight no against, bat, no, either <laughs> on or against. I got Dallas figured you out. Got Dallas figured. But this is a situation, I think, you take everything that happened last week, uncertainty with Favre, the change of venue with the game to Monday night, it just was a bad situation for so the pre, So the pre, even though they have till Monday again, they're home, all the preparation and the travel and the disruption last week is a slight negative for Minnesota. Absolutely. Look at the, I mean, let's not brush the disruption about the the Monday game. You talk about coaches and, you know, how much is involved on short weeks and, you know, having to prepare to travel and that. Here's a guy that's never been a head coach and was thrown in with all of that last week. That had to affect the coach for for Minnesota. That was something he wasn't ever handled. Now this week, and and he's got to be embarrassed. If this is his audition for a head coaching job, Boy, you, what does that mean? You're saying things I don't know what they mean, though. Is He's embarrassed. He's motivated. What does it mean to the performance of the team? He's going to try extra hard? Exactly. Harder than last week? I would think so. I he was on audition last week, wasn't he? I know, he? but if you were totally embarrassed, you're going to come back. I mean, it's pitch, like when you talk about baseball I mean, and pitchers. been embarrassed all year. They haven't done any. Last like some week, people last are okay with being embarrassed. Well, these are these are professional athletes. Well, you know that's the funny thing that assumes something about. Uh, listen, if that were the case, how in the heck could the Cowboys become a team that that is probably one of the top twelve or thirteen? If you throw Tony Romo on this team right now, they're probably one of the top twelve or fifteen teams in the league. If not, you know, nine, ten, eleven. Right or wrong, Tony Romo on this team playing at 100 percent. I mean, isn't Dallas right in the mix with Philly and the Giants and the Saints? 
That's where they were supposed to be, for sure. Well, they were the Super Bowl favorite entering the year. Now, then they get, blo- they, they get embarrassed every week. And then so, they were professional athletes then, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get a new coach in, a new approach, and now they're playing really well. I think it's too easy. I think some teams respond well to adversity, and some teams actually do more worse when they're under adversity. I haven't seen anything from this Vikings team that makes me think adversity is going to improve their performance. Well, we will see on Monday night. I, this is a game that if it wasn't a Monday night game, probably not even looking at it, but it, it's going to be a Monday night game. And we're going to know if Favre is playing or we're not. We're going to know if Favre is playing or not. And if Favre is not playing, I think there's going to be added value to the Vikings because people are going to just go with their eyes what they saw from Tavarius Jackson last week, and they're going to run to Chicago. I think there'll be value with Minnesota. All right. Now, every Monday we do something special. So no projection. We don't have a line on this game. Every Monday we do something special. And but before we go into that, one other stat. Home team in this series has covered 13 of 16. 13 and 3. And it makes sense. There's probably no more disparate home and away than the, the dome of Minnesota on the carpet and the outdoor Chicago with that, that, that heavy, you know, that field, that slow field. So it really does make sense that each team does really well at home. And, again, the line is supposed to account for that, but 13 out of 16 times it hasn't. Uh, you know, so that makes me lean home. But I don't want to play a psychologically questionable Minnesota team because they haven't shown me that they're able to persevere through such things. But every Monday we give you a chance to pick the score. And all you got to do is go into the YouTube comments section, say Chicago this many points, Minnesota this many, if you get it right, you win a hundred pregame dollars to spend any way you want at pregame.com. No obligation. It's easy. Just make your comments. And uh, Marco, any closing thoughts? Nope. It's not a game I'll be wanting to watch on Monday. That's for sure. <laughs> All right. And next, we'll be talking about uh, week two college bowl games.